The Unexpected Cosmology, Episode 3. Eat, Sleep, Psychodrama. The Magic of Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. The media maker is a persistent violator of the need to include a globe portrait within their passing narrative. Why? They are incestuously bluffing their way through a make-believe vantage point. The video camera held so far back as to capture the whole of our supposed blue marble as it wanders aimlessly through the sackcloth of space. The documentary genre holds much blame. I have observed that such glimpses of the heathen's globe predictably beds with the shot I'm about to describe. We quickly cut into the habitual routine of people, all of whom issue from a hodgepodge of cultures navigating the current of their commuter belt. Both shots are worthy of comparison, as they and the globe are on their way to a feckless job. With such incautious glances at creation from the ceiling of space, the media maker most certainly errs. And yet in light of the Copernican Revolution, particularly the augmented reality which entitles us to a belief in it, this is how our tutors wish that we perceive ourselves, from an ascendancy of which only God has granted himself permission. But once or twice in the Bible's unfolding narrative is the breadth of the earth revealed from above. Here as always it is presumably delivered, as we might deduce, from the perspective of God's throne. Isaiah 40.22 informs us, It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. My serial reader will likely understand, and willingly accept, the wondrous picture which is framed here. Nowhere does the Bible recognize an infinite abyss of blacker than black space, as some astronauts have described their own Isaiah 40:22 experience. The wishful reasoning for the circle of the earth representing a ball rather than a circle has been so thoroughly reputed as to expose the self-deceived and despairing heart which obstinately refuses it. Regardless, <laughs> they prefer the astronauts Isaiah 40:22 account over the Lord's own eyewitness statement. That is their loss. They would rather expand on the human experience by indulging in the esoteric fantasies of deep space beyond our own line of vision, which the Bible outright rejects, but augmented reality affords. My serial reader will concur. Heaven stretched out as a curtain over the roof of a tent is a poor description of space. Yet admittedly, it accommodates everything we know of Hebrew cosmology. Before the Copernican Revolution, we shall also not accommodate occult wisdom as a consideration. Were there ever such attempts to gaze perversely down upon the earth when discussing the nature of human being, let alone imagined? I think not. If we are to navigate through the treacherous avenues of augmented reality, then we must do so with brave and voracious conviction. The media is a wet sponge dripping with subliminal messaging which hopes to knock upon the Gnostic heart within each of us and light the divine spark.
Walt Disney World receives over 52 million visitors per year. The Disney theme parks, which includes Disneyland in Anaheim, California, currently dominates any and all of the world's most photographed places, beating out the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, Yosemite National Park, New York, and Paris landmarks. Then the massively impressive geodesic sphere, which serves as a symbolic structure for Epcot, needs very little introduction. We know it as Spaceship Earth. Its storyline was conceived by eminent science fiction author Ray Bradbury, one in which we are promised to take a journey through time unlike any ever experienced or imagined, spiraling gently upward into the geosphere through the strata of ages past, time machine vehicles carry its guests to the very beginning of communication. Not God spoke, as the Bible records, but rather to a Cro-Magnon cave where early man first began documenting events on his wall. Thousands of years soon passed to the kingdom of Egypt, where we witnessed papyrus invented, thereby making the Cro-Magnon's wall portable. The Phoenicians will, of course, invent the alphabet. According to Walt Disney World, published in 1986, a time traveler within Spaceship Earth will observe the movable type press invented, in which the evolution of communication gathers speed. With the age of invention, new communication technologies develop at an incredibly swift pace. To this point, the time machines have been ascending into the dome of Spaceship Earth. Before beginning their descent, the vehicles turn and we see the blue and white oasis of Earth against the dark and mysterious star-sprinkled galaxies. For the first time, we see our planet as it really is, a traveling spaceship. This is the Spaceship Earth experience, a voyage that fills its travelers with an insight into man's evolution from the dawn of our yesterday to the sunrise of tomorrow. Anyone who has ridden Spaceship Earth may recall the narrator's parting words spoken now by Judy Dench, which neatly sums up the challenge of a future set apart from God's promises. Having gazed upon creation as only our God has a right to, ironically here, a counterfeit creation, the writer begins his descent to Earth like the stardust of our evolutionary origin and hears these words, Tomorrow's world approaches, so let us listen and learn. Let us explore and question and understand. Let us go forth and discover the wisdom to guide great spaceship Earth through the uncharted seas of the future. Let us dare to fulfill our destiny. With his journey through the evolution of communication finally complete, the guest is returned to the gateway of Epcot, where the future of planet Earth awaits and, just beyond the lagoon, the world itself invokes exploration. With the Copernican Revolution employed as his filter, the guest may choose his experience, tomorrow's dreams and future world, or the various ethnic countries which makes up planet Earth's bludgeoning centralized governance in World Showcase. But whatever his outcome, Epcot's globular geosphere almost always looms upon his horizon. It is brilliant indoctrination. I have a confession to make. Spaceship Earth is my favorite ride at Walt Disney World. Perhaps because history is my strong suit. But there's more. Throughout our marriage, nearing two decades now, Mrs. Hadley and I have managed to become closeted Disney theme park addicts. Though closeted no longer. 
Living most of our lives in Southern California, we probably made a dozen pilgrimages to the Magic Kingdom. And that was before we succumbed to annual passes. The amusements which could be found there, not only in Walt Disney World's four theme parks, two water parks, and its dozens of creature comfort resorts, but the choicest medley of fine dining experiences certified the fact that no two trips in any given year were exactly alike. In fact, Mrs. Hadley and I were annual pass holders when we succumbed to the reality of flat earth over a spirited dinner conversation. The Disney World experience would never be the same, and that is a good thing. Mrs. Hadley and I were pushing our twin sons in their stroller, mouse ears pronounced upon both toddler heads, and the world apart from the real, which Disney World bases its very cornerstone upon, was suddenly stripped away with unsettling clarity. It was, <laughs> it was more of a revelation, a bittersweet aftertaste tugging at her heart and mine. With widened eyes, my wife said, Spaceship Earth is a globe. They want you to think the Earth is a globe, and yet the countries of World Showcase are as flat as Florida. The whole illusion came toppling down. We let our subscription expire, and we have yet to renew them. The addiction, however, remains. I confess, it hasn't been easy. We've only recently talked about going. I even picked up the phone to make reservations. I can't help it. I, <laughs> I want more of the mouse. Even now our house is filled with Disney products. Anticipating the children which God would one day bless us with was in itself a maze of disappointments. How we waited, how we waited and we waited, and we fed our Disney addiction. In part because we dreamed of one day filling the imaginations of our children in Main Street's clean swept gutters as we waited. And now that we have children of our own, the Lord has asked us to surrender the Disney theme park experience. All of it. We almost went anyways. But this is not about my twitching fingertips because the Disney theme park experience is an affront to the holiness of the Lord. In the Magic Kingdom, published in 1986, Disney paints its prized Florida destination as a world apart from the real. If we are to accept Disney's premise, then we must also detach ourselves from the moral paraphernalia which clothes the otherwise naked Christian faith. For example, Disney has described the haunted mansion as a poltergeist paradise. By merely participating in Madame Leota's conjuring of familiar spirits, we are willingly engaging in a complete subversion of Leviticus 19.31 and 20.27 and Deuteronomy 18.10-13. Necromancy is a damnable offense worthy of death. Disney makes a joke of it and expects us to laugh along, particularly when hitchhiking ghosts follow us home. Leviticus 26 says, And the soul that turneth after such as have familiar spirits, and after wizards, to go a-whoring after them, I will even set my face against that soul, and will cut him off from among his people. Next we find ourselves at Pirates of the Caribbean, a boat-guided tour which outlines the capturing, pillaging, and burning of a seacoast town by a crew of swashbucklers who would shiver the timbers of Blackbeard, according to Walt Disney World. 
And yet, while their victims may fret just a bit, they seem to be having as much fun as the buccaneers. Here the 11th psalmist confronts us. He writes, The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Disney's Animal Kingdom devotes an entire land to teaching children about dinosaurs and the hundred plus million years their evolutionary narrative demands. Its e-ticket attraction, aptly named Dinosaur, a fast-moving, chiropractic-inducing dark ride, which is described as a turbulent journey through the Cretaceous period, takes scissors to the opening chapters of Genesis. If one is to sit back and enjoy the ride, he must forsake the eyewitness testimony of his creator and comply. Its Disneyland counterpart, most will recognize it as Indiana Jones Adventure, Temple of the Forbidden Eye, same exact ride system and track, different story, in which the demon Mara offers his visitor one of three choices, earthly riches, eternal youth, or visions of the future. <laughs> How about you? Do you take gifts from demons? With Pandora, the land of Avatar, a massive themed area based on James Cameron's series of films, we are challenged to another philosophical quandary. What makes us uniquely human? Some transhumanists, so-called uploaders, hold to the idea that technology will eventually allow us to separate mind from body and enjoy immaterial, eternal life, either in the heavens or cyberspace. Avatar accepts this premise, but tacks on amonism. In such a construct, souls or spirits exist not only in men and fauna, but in flora, in rocks, even in natural phenomena such as mountains, rivers, and streams. If consciousness can be transferred to another body at will, today male, tomorrow female, an entirely new sexual organ the day thereafter, then the very fact that we are created in God's image has been arrested, tried, and disproved. Avatar would have us know that the Bible is an ill-conceived lie. The true Christian will have no part in this. I recall seeing a shirt at Walt Disney World which said very simply, Eat. Sleep. Disney. And that, <laughs> and that speaks of the Disney World experience. It most certainly did for Mrs. Hadley and I. Or as I like to call it, psychodrama. Walt Disney World is nothing less than a psychodrama. Often employed within psychotherapy, the willing participant uses spontaneous dramatization and role-playing all under the guise of self-presentation in order to investigate and gain insight into his life. As a therapy model, it is a means of altering one's values and works particularly well in molding the morality of children contrary to their parents. Psychodrama is arguably the most common form of magic practice and likely the sole discipline of magic which all occultists seem to agree upon. It is magic, real magic, not the pointy hat and broomstick magic which Disney parades for cheering audiences. Though the large 25-story magic wand held by a representation of Mickey Mouse's hand, which was constructed upon Spaceship Earth's sphere, should still turn heads. Unfortunately, it didn't mind. Psychodrama was how Anton LaVey described magical ritual in the Satanic Bible. His position was that the ritual was cathartic, a purification and purgation of emotions, particularly pity and fear, 
through art or any extreme change in emotion that results in renewal and restoration and prove psychological benefits regardless of whether or not the practice directly influenced the outside world. When aptly applied, psychodrama includes elements of theater, often conducted on a stage, or a space that serves as a staged area where props can be used. The fellow addict will likely concur. Disney refers to all guest accessible areas of the parks as on stage. In The Theater and Its Double, first published in 1938, French surrealist Antoni Artaud writes, Aside from trifling witchcraft of country sorcerers, there are tricks of global hoodoo in which all alerted consciousnesses participate periodically. That is how strange forces are aroused and transported to the astral vault, to the dark dome which is composed above all of us, the poisonous adhesiveness of the evil minds of most people, the formidable tentacular oppression of a kind of civic magic which will soon appear undisguised. Psychodrama is performance witchcraft, global voodoo, civic magic, public sorcery. Consider the demon Tinkerbell zipping alongside the simultaneous swing of a spotlight to announce an incoming display of fireworks. Or, <laughs> or Mickey Mouse commanding Satan, rather ironically, with his mighty white glove and wand, while over the loudspeaker we hear the soft coo of a child, believe. By garnishing the audience's willful participation, like an entire nation glued to the television screen during the Apollo 11 moon landing and Apollo 13's malfunction, the spell is cast. This is the occult's masterful hand at play, performance witchcraft. Knowing then that Disney's a cesspool of falsehoods, the Apostle John would implore of us not to love and practice falsehood. In Revelation 22:15, he writes concerning an eternity in heaven, Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. On a much larger stage, the media has become not only a persistent violator of Isaiah 40:22, but a cult of drama and violence. The 9-11 false flag event, as well as dozens of theater, nightclub, school, church, and concert shootings, none of which will be outright mentioned here, are arguably all psychodramatic exercises. They are orchestrated in advance and executed. Let him who has the eyes to see, see. We have been conditioned to psychodramatic experiences for decades. Mrs. Hadley and I were born into this norm. So were you, likely. In Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare, published in 2001, Michael A. Hoffman II reminds us of the ritual's gleaming ambition. He writes, This theater of death began as a ritual of the cult members themselves and ended as a giant magical ceremony for the processing of the entire nation. This is the alchemical psychodrama for the transformation of humanity. We are processing just by reading or watching the news. And yet there is a defining difference between the worldwide stage, the unholy union of this present reality, the media narrative wedded with a world apart from the real, and what I have been exclusively describing. 
My reader cannot control which tower the occult wishes to collapse, which schools or nightclubs or entertainment venues they consecrate with the tears of crisis actors, nor can I. But with due discipline and diligence, we can manage our jurisdiction in the stage of another kind. To say we are in love with the Lord and yet willingly lust for the flesh of a man or a woman is adultery and rebellion against our Creator. Thus saith Jesus. As the Apostle John would claim, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. 1 John 1.6 In the same vein, can we lust towards a mastery of abracadabra or play the game of peekaboo into necromancy or simply covet violence, even as entertainment would provide it, not forgetting a thirst for the possibilities which transhumanism offers our handicaps, insecurities, and sensuality, and still love the Lord? With Walt Disney World, I could go on. The willing participant in the ongoing performance wears an RF chip so that his every footstep may be tracked. He is even photographed unaware. He delivers his very being over to an almost omnipotent power from the moment he arrives. Power to manipulate his exocentric reality with the esoteric. To manipulate his subconscious with apostate desire. In short, to manipulate him and the values of his children. The writer of Hebrews 10.26 writes, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Magic is all around us. Determination results in magic. Imagination is a key for magic, and practice makes better magic. To this cause we must not apply. Over the loudspeaker we hear the voice of a child softly cooing, Believe.